Welcome to the Small and Tall 2022 Halloween Spooktacular. Hi, I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. And welcome to the scariest episode of Small and Tall. But like not scary like like you're afraid of dying scary, but like scary not like you're afraid of being murdered scary. Scary like you're afraid of dying in like the existential way. We're more of an existentially scary podcast than like a physically scary podcast. Pretty much this episode you'll uh, get to see Craig shaking in his boots. And I'm not happy about it. I Guys, am. the best part of the year is the day I Finish the horror movies for all of the podcasts. I went from watching zero horror movies a year to watching eight horror movies a year. You're so welcome. I don't know how I fumbled the bag so hard on that one. And Alex and quite, I are just helping you out. I don't feel helped, if I'm being honest. Like, I know what being helped feels like because being helped, I try to avoid it because it's a, like a point of pride and I don't like getting help. So... I would not... Well, I guess I don't like what's happening here either. Huh. <laughs> huh. Maybe this is help. Is this what help feels like? Should I go to therapy? I think you should call your therapist after this, Craig. All right. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. All right. Today, we're going to be discussing Alien, Midsummer, The Thing, and The Blair Witch Project. As always, Small and Tall is a full spoilers podcast. Oh, I'm, you can't say we didn't warn you. Can't say you we didn't can warn never you. say that. Never ever. Um. So let's dive right into Alien. Uh. So Ridley Scott is, you know, our. It seems to be our most recurring director on the podcast because we've also watched, you know, House of Gucci and The Last Duel, mm-hmm. and and I was really excited to watch Alien because, um. It is like the most sci-fi horror movie, and a lot of people consider it a classic. It's one of the greats. It established, you know, a decades-long franchise. So I was very excited to start this movie. And what I've learned is that Ridley Scott is really good at making half of a good movie. <laughs> You're not wrong. Be- because... Here's the deal with Alien, right? Very simple plot, right? This commercial cruiser is flying through space when they get an SOS call from a different ship, and they are legally obligated to check out the distress signal, so they do, and when they check it out, they unknowingly bring aboard an alien onto their ship, and then the alien... Tries to kill them. I wouldn't say unknowingly. Okay, this is unwittingly. I guess. I guess that's a better choice. Unapologetically. Look, if there were a specimen that shoved itself through my crew member's space helmet and attached to his face, I'm sorry. I'm not bringing it back on board. And I also think that they could have done a way better job at quarantining him on the ship yeah, when they, th- if they did decide to bring him back. They just threw all quarantine procedures to the wind. They were like, mm, no. And we find out why later. Because 
Yeah, and they even bring that up where it's like, hey, we should probably quarantine this guy. And they're like, no, let's not. In fact, let's put him on the dining room table. Yeah. Like, gang, I'm sure you have a better place for this. And I feel like they just like, okay, so, you know, I guess we should, uh, explain more so you know the the movie begins just with like these clips of space and inside this silent ship like it uses this movie uses the absence of sound really really well to like build tension yes and so you know then all of a sudden these people are waking up and they're going to like we explained they're going to find everything and then after they get this dude on the ship and all of a sudden this alien thing is no longer attached to his face, they don't really do any body scans on him. They just let him out of the room. And I'm like, hmm, a lot of this could have been avoided had we just, I don't know, scanned his body to see if there was an alien inside of it. Yeah, I because... You know? There was, I, I didn't know their technical limitations... Because that's the thing about sci-fi is you it's unless they tell you outright, you kind of don't know what technical limitations they're running with because they don't have like a warp drive or anything to get them from place to place. They put themselves into a cryo sleep so they don't age or that they sleep through the spaceship the space traveling process. So, when they pick up the alien and they're like, how long is it until we get to Earth? Oh, 10 months. They just have to go back into cryo until they go, they arrive back on Earth. Obviously, that doesn't happen, but like, that's one of the technical limitations we're dealing with. Uh, they jerry-rig a motion sensor, and that motion sensor is built like out of a cereal box and, a, yeah. and like a plastic bowl. Is what it looks like, and um, I just feel like there could have been more tests. I understand done, that this is also, you know, and and like I understand that this is like 1979 sci-fi, so it's not like the imagination was the limit. They had physical limitations as well, but it felt like this version of sci-fi space travel was very bare bones and. Not as technologically advanced as the Star Wars is and the Star Treks and whatnot. Not as technologically advanced as. But it I agree. Needed. Yeah, you know. Hey, um, I think my biggest problem with this movie is how it's paced because I found once I understood kind of what the setup was supposed to be, I was ready for the movie to start. And the movie kind of didn't start until like an hour into it. Because um, the face hugger doesn't get onto the ship until like 30 minutes yeah. in. And then we don't get the threat of the big xenomorph until like an hour in. I think both of those times could have been cut in half. If we had gotten the face hugger at 15 minutes and the xenomorph at 30, I feel like this would have given the movie a lot more room to be scary because the movie wasn't really scary until an hour in yeah which i guess that also holds some weight for me at least because you know it takes an like there's this 
super super build up and then you're like oh crap this is actually happening this is getting intense and then you have to like sit in that anxiety for another hour still which i think has some merit to it yes and i'm also willing to say my expectations for this movie were completely different than what i ended up getting is i thought this movie was going to be a lot more of the crew running from the alien like the xenomorph is a threat on the ship and they're like checking corners and ducking through hallways and literally like i don't want to say chase like a scooby-doo chase but it it never felt like the crew was being hunted by the xenomorph they were doing until the the xenomorph was right behind them yeah so i guess i'm willing to chalk some of that up to my expectations i would have really liked to see a little because like i've seen bits of like the alien isolation the game and that's kind of what i expected this movie to be is you is seeing the crew like hide in lockers and roll under beds and stuff like that so and that's not what i got which i kind of painted a different frame of a movie in my mind and the movie didn't live up to that which i guess is on me but i don't know (laughs) i mean you know it still is an interesting take, I feel like, because, you know, it's not often that you have them act like, you know, it's like why the Predator movies are also attached to this franchise, because in those movies, more often, the big spooky creature is being hunted more so than doing the hunting, if that makes sense. Yes. And I was talking to... Uh, some co-workers about this movie and I told them the same thought that I just expressed and one of them was like oh then you would probably like Predator more because yeah. the movie you just described that that's Predator that's Predator <laughs> so I'm so I might have to check out Predator and maybe maybe I'll get kind of more of the movie I'm looking for see that's why I suggested Alien versus Predator but you were like no I want to do Alien <laughs> Sorry for not wanting to watch, you know, the fifth movie in either franchise without watching the original of either. Hey, there, it's arguably the best one of each franchise, so... Except the new Predator movie is pretty good. Anyway, besides the point, um, I would faint if I saw an alien shoot out of somebody's chest. I would just die. Oh, for real. Uh, so this movie was nominated for a bunch of awards, and it won the Oscar for Best Effects and Visual Effects. And guess what? Uh, it deserves it. Yep. Holy crap. Like, the the chest-bursting scene is fantastic. Mm. Um, the, the face the sucker itself? suit is gorgeous. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, the face sucker itself is amazing. Uh, the thing... I don't know if this is considered visual effects or, like, set design. I don't know how it's categorized in terms of, like, award uh, categorization. But when they go onto the Xenomorph ship at the beginning of the movie and they open the door and it's just this big, almost cavern inside of this ship, that was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Oh, my God. Like, it's one of those things that, like, I really appreciate this movie being like a late 70s movie because it just like 
it's very difficult to find an aesthetic like that, and I think this movie nails it so well. Um, because the ship that Ripley and the team are on kind of gives, like, I don't want to say steampunk vibes, but, like, it's kind of like uh, The Matrix, you know, the kinda. ship that they're on in The Matrix. It kind of has that, like, worn down, beat down kind of vibe, kind of the same vibe as, like, the Cowboy Bebop ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, I, like, obviously that set design was done for a reason. I didn't love it. But I'm I'm not gonna knock that creative choice. But the Xenomorph ship was just gorgeous from head to toe. And I think they kind of downplayed the ship that the crew was on to show like that the Xenomorph ship was so much further advanced, I feel like, to kind of make it come off as if it was a fully intelligent species almost. Yes, absolutely. I think this movie is very scary. Yeah, um, like I, I know I, I know I've been kind of critiquing like the pacing of it, but once the xenomorph is out there, like it's it it, it gets me good sometimes. Um, there's a, the scene where Dallas dies, Ooh. where he's like in the vents. That's and the one that gets me. They're on the tracker. Yeah. Um, when he is like in the vent and he has like the lighter and he just turns and the xenomorph is there, that got an audible. Oh my god, out of me <laughs> when that happened. Yeah, that one that one gets me. A lot of people say that like, you know, Ripley is obviously the smartest person on the bridge. That's not what I'm arguing here. The point that people will make is if people listened exclusively to what Ripley said, everybody would have survived. I'm going to say Ripley does send a man to his death just directly cuz the cat gets loose. And then Ripley is like, hey, you go follow that cat. And then he follows that cat and gets murked by the xenomorph. Everyone's got a little blood on their hands. Yes. <laughs> also, the one thing that I couldn't get over that also is like the quickest identifier of when this movie was filmed is the fact that they're smoking in space. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, because there is no way that they would recycle that oxygen with all those carcinogens in it. Absolutely not. But what a vibe, though, right? Uh, I guess just casually smoking in space while being attacked by alien life forms. The dream. I also think this movie is pretty bare-boned in terms of plot, except for you get this one scene that's kind of like the only real pivotal quote unquote like plot world building scene where we find out that the captain of the ship it was the captain right uh he was the, like the science captain not the actual captain okay the science captain we find out that he's an android and the whole point of this cargo delivery was to specifically go to like pick up cargo and then on the way back pick up this distress beacon, and then pick up the alien. So, like, it was this, like... The cargo pi- the cargo pickup was just, like, a cover yes. for the, whoever hired and programmed this android to pick up the alien and bring it back to Earth, we assume. Under any circumstances, like, the crew is secondary. The primary goal is to get this specimen back to Earth. Even at the expense of Yes, and they drill that point home. 
Yeah, like the crew is expendable, only the alien matters. And the scene where when they find out he's an android and one of the crew members just starts beating the ever-loving crap out of the android and you see like the liquid ooze from the body and then like the head is just lying on the floor and still talking to them i'm like this is this is freaky i remember this is weird and freaky i remember the first time i saw this i was like why is he full of milk (laughs) he is very full of milk none of the characters in this movie have a lot of depth. It's like it, all of the characters have like personality defining character trait. That's it. Like they don't really have like a backstory. None of them really have motivation other than survive. So I don't really want to like, there's not a lot to dig into with these characters. Like Sigourney Weaver does a really good performance, but like she's not given a lot either. Yeah. At the, I feel like a lot of like, her best performance comes once she's the last one alive, still trying to get off of that ship. And, like, her having to, you know, come across her friends torn apart and then see the xenomorph and have to set up the self-destruct, which I couldn't do. I yes. could not think straight enough to set up a self-destruct system and then also try and shut it off and escape and figure out the escape pod no yeah that was a very it was a very tense sequence the self-destruct very sequence. high stakes i think very high stakes i think i would have reworked the announcing timer because i think it started counting every single second down from like 30 yeah. and it got to a point where i'm like all right shut up we get it all right shut up we get it it, it was like the announcement timer eventually got so annoying it like diluted some of the tension but i feel like if you put yourself like in her shoes with it it would add a lot more to the tension because you're like oh like okay yeah and then also that annoyance plays a part as well because you're like okay i get it i only have 15 seconds okay i get it i only have 12 seconds but at the same time you're like shit i only have 12 seconds yeah for sure it's crazy how John Hurt, um, it, it this movie is like in his top four known for on IMDb, and he dies in the first act. Well, it's just based off of the movie's rating I, as a I, whole, I, not his performance in it. No, I mean, so the IMDb known for, I've looked up, I've looked it up, and IMDb is like, yeah, it's like a way, to, I think it has to do with a lot of like how many times people click on a title after clicking the actor or vice versa yeah, and something like that, because I would also think like Dr. Who would be up there. Cause he's, you know, in one of the most popular Dr. Who specials of all time, but it's not, he's also a very prolific actor. So he's been doing it for a really long time. So it's weird for me that one of like his second known for is one he's in 15 minutes of. Hey, it is what it is. Um, that final sequence where Sigourney Weaver is in the escape pod with the cat. Yeah. And the xenomorph is just kind of chilling in the pipes. My God. Um, that was scary. Horrifying. That one had me on edge. 
Yeah, because we're at peace. Like, we finally found a moment of calm. And as an audience member, you know, if you've watched horror movies before, you know, you're kind of still on edge. You're like, I don't know if it's gone forever, but we're in the escape pod. So hopefully that gives us a little bit of time to breathe. Nope. No, it doesn't. Does not. Zero time. I thought it was funny how they just kind of had it hanging there once she, like, ejected it from the pod. Yes, that was very funny. I was like, okay, you're just gonna have it, like, screaming and hanging from outside of the ship. And this is the second month in a row where um, the cat scares the titular antagonist. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I saw that and I'm like, I feel like we've seen this before. (laughs) I like the idea Didn't we just do this? I like the idea of tiny cats scaring the big bad guy. All right. Well, next month we'll make sure to watch Captain Marvel. Oh, I mean, we don't have anything planned yet, so maybe. What was I going to say? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I don't know how she didn't just give up. Like, she has a lot more will to live than I do. (laughs) Because if I'm on the escape pod and I just blew up the other ship and I already don't know if I'm making it back, like I'm just hoping that they pick up on my signal in six weeks when I make it back into our orbit or whatever. And I'm like, okay, all of my crew is dead. I think I just killed this xenomorph and now I'm just hoping for the best. And then the xenomorph is on the escape pod i'm giving up i am not no i'm just like all right this is how it is this is what's happening this is what's meant to be this is my end i'm making my peace with it and i'm saying good night i also think it it gives off you know iron man and nebula at the beginning of endgame vibes oh wow so many marvel references today craig what was the other one i've already forgotten it was oh the captain marvel yeah Oh my god. Do you guys see what I deal with? Five seconds and it's the hamster done. That, the hamster that is running the wheel that is powering my brain is taking a 40 minute break. Okay? We are going on uh, reserves right now. Oh my god. He needs to choose his break time for a different time when we're not recording. Anyway, do you have anything else to say about this movie? I I think this movie's got good vibes. I think the movie is scary, and it's definitely a Ridley Scott movie, for better or for worse. Uh, I've I've also had a lot of people tell me that I'm probably going to like the second one better, because it's James Cameron, and Mm -hmm. it feels more like a Terminator movie, like Terminator 2. And I like Terminator 2, so I'm willing to watch... I want to watch the rest of this franchise because I love I love the sci-fi vibe. I love the aesthetic. So I, it's it's not what I wanted it to be, but it's still good. Right. Uh, what what do you what do you give it for a rating? Seven and a quarter. Seven and a quarter. I give this one. I think like six and three quarters because personally, I don't find it that scary i still think it's an entertaining film and i think it's a good one to like you know watch with friends around spooky season but 
It didn't really give me the spooks in the way that I like my spooks. It got me like once or twice, including the first time that I saw it. So, yeah. Sure. This is um this is definitely a suspense horror. It's not like a supernatural horror or like you could argue this movie is a slasher if you really wanted to. I'm not going to make that argument. No. But it's just it's, a sci-fi it's horror. It's very slow. Yeah. It, it's yeah. I I it's really that simple. Um, yeah. Let's move on to Midsummer. Now, oh this God. is the movie that didn't get me like it got y'all. So, I watched this movie for the first time like 2 years ago when Kayla and I watched it together. Kayla who watched, who guest hosted an episode, you know, 100 episodes ago. Um, of permanent good. Uh, her and I watched it together at like, we started it at like 11 p.m. So we didn't finish it until like almost two. This movie's long, y'all. And the entire time she was like, oh my God, this, like, this, she like was visibly distraught throughout the oh, yeah. entire movie. I was and I, the first time I And I was it. just kind of like, and I'm kind of like, it's certainly interesting. This movie's messed up. Like, in a good way, like, in an engaging, entertaining way. But I I didn't, like, I wasn't walked, I didn't walk away a changed man. Well, how much of your attention span did you actually give it? Like, were you on your phone a lot? Or were you watching, like, intensively? Yeah. I was watching intensely. Hmm. So what do you, what do you think you met, what do you think you missed? Like, or why do you think that? I don't think I missed anything. I think this movie is... <sighs> I think this movie is too long, and I think once the once the climax starts happening, I got the point pretty quick. So all the shock horror that they were continuing to do for the last like twenty minutes, it was unsettling. It was creepy, but it got to a point where I was just kind of like, I kind of get what you're doing. I'm. Uh, I felt like it kind of lingered in its own moment for, like, five minutes too long. I actually, like, it is a really long movie. It is two hours and 28 minutes. That is incredibly long for a horror movie. But I feel like, personally, with how they did it, it was worth it because what I remember from my first time watching it that I also kind of felt this second time watching it is that this movie does a phenomenal job of making you feel just as lost scared and slightly confused as the main characters because you know they don't translate the swedish and so you don't know what they're saying either for most of it and you know they use the visual effects on the screen to kind of make you feel like you're going along on these like trips along with these characters and so it kind of like gives you that feeling of being confused and not really knowing what's going on unless you pay like super close attention to the artwork behind it which is a whole other thing that we'll get into but I feel like there were definitely moments where I feel like it lagged but overall I feel like the pacing kind of like had you antsy because you were also like okay, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Are we done with this yet? Like, when is this resolution happening? I guess. Yeah. So I'll do a quick plot breakdown and then I'll transition into the point 
that I think will follow pretty closely. So the movie starts, uh, Florence Pugh um, is the lead in this movie, and her character's sister um, commits suicide at the beginning of the movie, like almost like five minutes in. Um, the character, so Danny is Florence Pugh's character, and then her boyfriend's name is Christian, and their relationship is kind of on the outs. You see the strains. Christian wants to break up with her, but then after her sister dies, he's like, "Well, I'm not going to break parents, up with her right her after sister her sister kills dies." Her parents. Her sister kills her parents. Along okay, with yes, himself. and so uh, y- the movie spends like 20 minutes, kind of on this like strained relationship um he clearly doesn't want to be in it anymore she's trying to make things work like she's able to read that he doesn't want it anymore but she wants to make it work and we find out that christian is going to a remote village in sweden uh one of his college friends is taking him back to because it's his home village his hometown and danny kind of invites herself to go on this trip and that's where the movie like takes place is Danny Christian and their group of friends is they're staying at this village because uh William Jackson Harper's character Josh is doing his thesis on villages removed from the quote-unquote modern world and the movie and so that's the movie, right? Is them being in this strange village and trying to grow with their customs. And I think that this movie's length is definitely warranted because what it does is it gives us very slow peaks behind the curtain. It does a very slow and gradual process of showing us weird quirks about the village that at first we kind of write off as their culture is different than ours. We just kind of have to get used to it. We're here to observe and to learn. But then these things start to pile up and pile up. And then you start to learn and kind of make that decision for yourself that, oh, these people aren't weird. They're bad. It's bad. What they do here is bad. And so that's what I think this movie does really well is that slow descent Yes. into trusting this very hospi- or hospitable yeah, hospitable village and then watching that hospitality go- do a complete 180 for some of the people in this trip. Yes, and also, I'm just going to state it now. If I am somewhere foreign and they're trying to make me walk to the village over m- a mile two miles away from my vehicle and then I get there and everybody is dressed exactly the same and they're playing this greeting music, I'm accepting that I'm probably going to die because this is probably a cult. (laughs) Whether they know it or not, they're probably a cult. Yes, and the movie does not shy away from the cult vibes. Like I said, it's a slow descent and you trust the village very early on, despite the facts they also give you very early red flags. Like uh, you the trusted place gives I never cult trusted. vibes. Well, I mean I don't trust it because it's the setting of a horror movie, but when watching a movie like I I've said this before. When 
I watch a movie. I let a movie take me on the ride it wants me to go on. So when the movie is like, hey, here's a village full of hospitable people, I'm like, okay, they're hospitable. I will take them at face value for right now because that's what the movie wants me to do. That's an interesting way so, to go about it. So like, I, when I watch this movie, I'm not trying to like poke for holes instantly. I'm like, all right, let's see what's different about these people. Let's 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 see what's going on. And the entire movie is kind of reinforced by the strain on Danny and Christian's relationship. Because as soon as they arrive in the village, they're given uh is it like acid or shrooms or something? They're literally and given mushrooms. The idea uh, yeah. And the the idea is to do a group trip. And Danny is like, nah, I don't want to. I'm tired. We just did a lot of travel. I don't want to have a bad trip. I'd rather not. And then Christian is like, ugh, fine. I'll, I'll wait, too. I don't want you to be by yourself right now. I'll wait. And then that turns into like a five-minute argument, you know, passive-aggressive argument about whether or not they're going to, you know, take a trip right now. And... That kind of dynamic is enforced the entire movie, and I think it helps at some points, but also at a certain point, it kind of becomes a broken record where I'm kind of sick about hearing about it. And I understand that it's all relevant because it's crucial to the final 10 minutes of the movie, but it gets to a point where the movie just kind of repeats itself on that note so many times where I'm like, I, okay, I get it. I get it. I, Thank you. It was a lot of fuel for how insufferable and how much of a douchebag Christian ended up being in the end because, you know, he does the same exact type of thing with, like, the gaslighting and the passive-aggressive argument when he tells Josh that, oh, yeah, I know we're here on this trip for your thesis. Like, that is the whole reason we are here. But... I'm going to do my thesis on a very similar topic now. And uh, so thanks for having this idea and bringing me here. But uh, it's not exactly what you're doing. So you can't be mad about it. Yeah. I, I guess I also didn't know that he... Did, I, did we know that he was also in graduate school? Yes. C okay. Because at no point in this movie do we feel like Christian is thinking about his thesis. Like, Christian's thesis is not brought up in this movie. And then all of a sudden, he's just kind of like, well, I he guess and, I'm already here. He and... Uh, I guess I'll write about this. He and Danny have a conversation about it briefly, like, when they're discussing the fact that he okay. didn't tell her she w he was going to go. And then, you know, he's like, well, you know, it could inspire something for my thesis. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess it could be inspiring, like, trying to be agreeable with him. Which, ladies, sure, sure, don't sure. do that. Don't just try and be agreeable because he wants to be stubborn and leave his ass behind. Sorry, stepping off of my soapbox. <laughs> um, all this to say, I, I think this movie does a really good job at, at shock horror because I think oh, that's yeah. what most of it is. There, there's, a there's some unsettling tension, but most of it comes from this seemingly, you know, quote unquote, seemingly normal village doing some whack nonsense. It's like, hey, glad you guys are here. 
Let's go watch two old guys throw themselves off a cliff. Also, how are you going to have the girl who just lost her parents and her sister stand there and watch two people kill themselves? Kind of kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. Yeah, it, I I think it was uh this movie does a really good job at establishing a lot of I guess world building is the term for it for this village because they have this really strict the the phrase i'm going to say is they have a really strict birthing structure where like there are only going to be so many couples in the village and they're only going to have so many babies and they're only going to live to a certain age and the babies need to be born in like this certain um, in this certain like time of the year and I, uh, I thought that was very interesting because you look at something like that. Once they explain it like that, you're like, okay, this is a cult. You know, yeah. any hope that I had that this was just a weird village, out the window. This is a cult. Um. Because you kind of think, what is their purpose of life if just not to follow a strict life schedule? You, you know, you kind of think about it that way. Um, so I guess I kind of found this movie more interesting as like a character study than it was like a genuine horror movie, except for like the third act. The third act gets pretty deep into like horror themes. Um, but up until that point, it's pretty much just character work. Yeah. Once the like actual midsummer ceremonies begin, I start watching this movie a lot more from behind my hands. yeah that's so interesting because i like again like i don't get that same kind of like fear response Um, well it's more about for like you know when they throw themselves off the cliff i don't want to see the end result of it because it's disgusting you know josh's death scene always gets me it always makes me jump because it does come out of nowhere but once again don't want to see the gore behind everything so it's more that than like, because the type of horror I get from this more than just like jump scare spooky is a lot of the psychological horror that's involved with being like, oh my god, imagine being on shrooms while witnessing all of this and being on shrooms while in this unfamiliar place who like, and not knowing what is going on at any moment and then having that amplified by the effects of the psychedelic. So what was for me, what was worse uh, than Josh's death was watching, you know, the face, Oh uh, yeah, the face yeah. on a face. Yeah. That, that's that, the part that, mm, I that was that, that, yeah. And then in the third act, when you see Josh freaking strung up, that was, uh, ooh, yikes. I will say, obviously, murder is bad. However, Josh, the sign was neon, and you chose not to read it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not going to say you should have died. No. I'm just saying, you can't be surprised. No one is surprised. Yeah. Will Poulter's death was, uh, uh, huh. wild. Because you don't, I mean, you don't see him die, right? I mean, the events leading up to Will Poulter's death, um... I also feel like this village was way more forgiving for their guests than I think they should have been or would have actually been because Will Poulter, 
pees on an ancestral tree, I would have been like, all right, we tried, guys. Leave. Goodbye. Leave or die. Well, it was only a couple hours after that that they did take him away to kill him because they were like, nope, you're done. You're yes. gone. And so I guess... I guess I also don't understand what the village's end goal would have been if, like, I don't, I imagine the the cult probably wanted to convert them, right? Like, that was their... Well, no. Motivation through this? No. Not at all? What I got from it is because, and they mentioned this, that they have these very, like, that, that was, okay, so that was part of their motivation, but it wasn't their entire motivation because they have this strict birth order and they have such a close-knit community they mention a lot of times that they often have to bring in people from the outside to extend the family yes lines. yes yes and so whether or not the people yeah. end up staying doesn't matter it's just that they get somebody pregnant or they end up pregnant themselves or you know finding community within them maybe as like a secondary type of thing but the biggest thing is to extend their bloodline and then it's also this 90 year midsummer thing where they need sacrifices so they want sacrifices and people to extend the bloodlines okay yes you're you're right um so and we don't know this when they kill off Will Poulter's character. So him just kind of being shuffled off is like, what a weird reaction to this. Yeah. What a what a, what a weird vibe that there is now. Also, I would have been like, hey, as soon as you bring people to your house, I imagine... It's pretty commonplace to be like, hey, these are these are the things we don't touch. Yeah, like, these are the things we hey, don't touch. These are the things we you know, don't this do. This is my bed. This is my bed. You know, this is my Xbox. Uh, that's the light switch. Don't touch the third one. It causes a breaker to flip. And that's the ancestral tree. If you pee on it, someone will kill you. Like, I feel like that's pretty commonplace, right? Yeah, I feel like... I feel like uh, a lot more warnings could have been given, but they just wanted these people to go in blind so then they could be like, oops, you messed up, and now it's our tradition to kill you. So let's let's talk about the third act of this movie, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this movie, like I said, this movie, the, the third act goes on for a little too long in my opinion, but it does have a lot of really good shock moments in it. Um when Danny sees Christian in the conception tent with that woman <laughs> and she uh, she kind of freaks out about it and she's just like in in the barracks just screaming with te- with 12 other women also screaming like that very unsettling very all for- ooh, wow that's yikes Look, I am all um, for a group then- cry but that one went on a little too long <laughs> That was a little too intense for a group and cry. Then, and then we cut to the conception tent. And wh- is it Maya that's, uh, that, that Christian's sleeping with? You know, when she starts to climax, you know, there's a ring of naked women around them having a sympathy climax. And the entire time, it's very funny watching Christian during this scene because he's just kind of like, what is happening? I'm not going to stop, but what's happening? Because he is also, he is also fully on shrooms. 
while this is happening and also to be in this and then all of a sudden you have you're like entered into this room and there's a bunch of naked women standing around and this other woman who's just bearing herself to you and they're like yeah get in there no foreplay just get in there get her done buddy and then they just get closer and closer to where eventually someone is pushing on you no thanks i would not know i don't know that went on for way too long i think personally i also found it it was kind of funny watching him like hustle out of the tent like just all naked and being like uh uh, Uh, i don't know what to do uh, i don't know where i am and again this is one of those christian and the sign was neon moments where he this time they were like hey the yellow temple don't go in there don't do it the tree you can piss on but don't go in the temple um and Christian's like, ah, yes, solitude in the temple. And then he goes in there, sees Josh strung up. Then he sees, you know, he sees the bear wide open, you know, carved out. And he goes, huh, this is a worse place for me to be in, actually. And he was correct because he would get knocked out and then put in the bear. Also, I um, don't know if I'm yeah. served at dinner and my drink is a different color than everybody else's, and I'm finding hairs in my food, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching anything. I'm reaching to the person next to me, and I'm like, hey, let me have a sip of this. And I'm drinking their drink, especially because, you know, if you pay attention to the tapestries strung up and the artwork strung up around this village, you'd know exactly what is happening when you get served that. Yeah, it was, um, and and that stuff kind of all happened while we were still, while the village was still being broken down, while that trust, like, it was during that process, but, like, closer to the beginning, so we were just kind of like, huh, that's weird, it's not the first weird thing that's happened here, but it's still weird, um, and then the Midsummer Ceremony, that's just a dance contest, uh, that was... Hmm. How do I feel about that scene? I feel like it was it was a cool scene. Like it was a very well designed scene. It didn't evoke any emotions from me, which I think is kind of weird because that scene kind of gets the ball rolling on high emotion scenes for the rest of the movie. Well, I I really like, and this is a theme throughout the movie itself is the emphasis they put on Danny's breathing and like what happens in the moments that you like hear her breathing more and like hear like her get more frantic is that like you know that something that's super messed up is about to happen and I feel like once you catch on to that you can kind of anticipate it more but with that scene you kind of just consider it more as like oh she's breathing heavy because she's been dancing for hours at a time and she's on shrooms and doesn't really know what's going on she's just kind of going along with it and so like she's happier instead of kind of having those panicky moments where she's like oh what's going on like the girls keep her distracted and like that's where I think the beginnings of her like finding a sense of community which kind of lead lends to the final scene of her it kind of like that's what you have to pick up on in order to understand why she's smiling at the end of the movie instead of being upset 
Yeah, so this movie kind of catapulted Florence Pugh, um, her reputation. I I think she was on track to becoming a big star anyway, Mm -hmm. but I think this movie really, like, so, like, like, her talent is undeniable. Yeah. After watching this movie. Um, because, like it or not, Florence Pugh knocks it out of the park. Absolutely. Slam dunk. Um... Because that entire third act, she has very, she says almost nothing. Once the midsummer ceremony starts, she has a conversation with the girls that she's dancing with. And then after that, she doesn't say much of anything else. No. So it's all facial expressions. It's all emotional intensity. And and she really nails it. It's it's a it's an amazing performance from start to finish. I absolutely agree. And it's like you said, like she has one conversation right before she catches Christian in the act, which I really like that Florence calls him Christian because her little accent slips in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, she has that one conversation about what's going on in this building versus what's going on in this building and then the rest of it is like all like you said facial expressions and emotional acting and like it's one of those moments where it's like in the sense of dialogue less is more for the end of this movie and that kind of adds to the unsettled feelings that this movie gives off and does really well in doing so yes i uh and and so I like the third act of this movie. Ari Aster says that there's another 30 minutes to this movie that got cut because otherwise this movie would have been rated NC-17. And I kind of want to watch that movie. I know. But then again, I also don't want to watch it. I also don't want to watch a three-hour version of this movie because two and a half hours was already kind of pushing it. Um, I just want this those lack clips. of dial. Uh, Sure. I, I think the lack of dialogue in this movie is a strength is an objective strength, but a subjective weakness in the third act. Because it's an objective strength because like you said, it adds to the tension, it adds to the horror, like it it, it, it is the creative decision and I think it is done well. It is a subjective weakness because my brain is small and when people don't talk for a while, I get distracted. <laughs> so I was, I, um, I, I want to cut this movie a lot of slack because of that. I understand that, you know, that is my shortcoming. That's not this movie's shortcoming. But like I said, I still think that there's some merit to the point of it goes on a little too long in, you know, the, the sympathetic screams kind of go on for a while. Um, I, I think there's, there's just a lot of pomp and circumstance that happens that I think probably could have been cut and doesn't cut the tension of the scenes. I could definitely see some of it for sure, but I feel like a lot of the pomp and circumstance kind of adds to why they're hesitant to question things because it's like a distraction for them even to be like, oh, but look at this, look at this big thing over here. Look at this nice thing over here to distract you from the fact that we just killed somebody. Like, it's just our culture. Don't, don't judge us, if that made any sense at all. Yeah. Um, overall, I think this movie is good. It's, I liked it more than Hereditary. It's much better than Hereditary. (laughs) I liked it more than Hereditary. Um... I think this one sits at like a seven and a 
half. Seven and a half. Yeah. I think, so this is admittedly one of my favorite movies in the horror genre slash psychological thriller genre because I feel like it does a really good job at, you know, like I said before, making you feel kind of as uneasy as everybody else does, at least for most of the audiences. And so for what it is yeah. and for how well it does at being what it is, I'm going to give this one an eight, I think. For sure. Definitely. I think if somebody were to be like, this is my favorite horror movie, I'd be like, that makes sense. That tracks, you know, valid choice. Valid choice. Also, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really funny that Swedish audiences thought this was a dark comedy versus all the audiences that don't yes. know Swedish customs were horrified of it. Yeah, that was, yeah, I found that trivia effect fun as well. Um, I'm glad I was able to revisit this movie. I don't think I got anything. I think I had the exact same kind of viewing experience the second time around. Um, like, I wasn't obviously like as shocked and whatnot, but it, w- it was fun to see some of the little stuff again. Like at the beginning of the movie, they're just like, why do you guys have a bear? They're just like, don't worry about it. And no then they don't it. bring it up until the very end of the movie. They said, don't worry about it. And But the one, th- the one thing that I did catch the second time around that I forgot or didn't notice the first time is how when Christian is put into the bear... I almost said the bear suit. It's not a bear suit. He just gets put into a bear. Um, When he gets put into a bear, they don't, like, skin him very well. So you see, like, the bits of of the inside, like, kind of poking out, like a a not-sewn-well costume. Uh, And that was, like, that was kind of freaky to see that kind of detail is you can still see the edges of the bear's guts, even with Christian in the bear. Yeah. It's very unsettling and icky. Okay, but that's uh we can we can we can move <laughs> on now. Okay, so let's talk about Blair Witch first. Cause this will be a shorter conversation, I think. Okay. Also, we'll switch it up. Yeah. Um the Blair Witch project, I'm gonna give the plot description and then I'm gonna let Bug kind of lead the conversation on this because I think you're more passionate about this movie than I am. <laughs> um the the plot is very simple. It's I guess you would call it a mockumentary in the sense that it's in the style of a documentary, but it's fictional and scripted. Where it's th- these three people, like early twenties, they find out about this legend in a city called Blair, and there's a there's some woods by the city of Blair that is supposedly has a witch in there. So these three people take some pretty intensive recording equipment into the woods for like a two day hike and try to find said witch and try to document their process along the way. And the movie unfolds because they can't find the witch. Their map reading skills are um, laughable at best and get, and they get lost almost immediately. So the tension is between these people getting more mad at each other and frustrated with each other because what once was a movie making experience now turns into a survival experience. That is definitely someone's fault. And along the way, 
they slowly become more and more hunted by the Blair Witch. So that's the movie. Yes, this is an hour and 20 minutes long. So they really uh, pack a lot into a short amount of time, which is, I think, it kind of adds to the anxiety of it because so much is happening at once. And uh, while Craig was watching this, I was receiving a lot of messages of, I don't like this. And that, uh, what what did you say to me, Craig, about... I told you that this movie did to me what you wanted the fourth kind to do to me. Because I watched the fourth kind, and there were some parts of it that were freaky, but I was never, like, ensnared by the story. I'm like, oh, this is Mila Jovovich not being a good actor. <laughs> um, So, like, I was never taken aback by the... True stories of the small town Alaska. But right. I th- I think Blair Witch Project does a better job at, even though it's not a true story, it's so very clearly a, a written script with everyone being actors. It feels so much more genuine than the fourth kind ever dreamed of being. Well... That's the thing about the Blair Witch is that all of their fear is genuine because these actors, they were only given like a 30 page outline of the mythology on the Blair Witch and like an outline of what the script would be. But every single line that is spoken in the movie is actually improvised. And they were only like one of the theories or like not theories, I would say, but one of the things that they did to like get the genuine reactions and have them improvise was they would they had this gps that would lead them to different locations and at those locations each one of them would receive a film capsule that had like an instruction for their character to kind of guide the scene but that was it and they didn't know what the other actors had so it was kind of like totally improvised and they had to just hope that they were taking it in the same direction as everybody else was supposed to be taking it. And I think that that definitely added to the anxiety that the audience gets because the scary moments for the actors were them being genuinely scared. Yes, this, I I think the most impressive parts about this movie are definitely the production Parts of it, you know, the more you learn about the production of this movie, the more technically impressive this movie is. This is also like one of the most profitable movies of all time because it had like a shoestring budget, but, you know, made millions of dollars in the box office Um, because, you know, all it was was, you know, bad camera equipment and like location basing. So... It, like this, not a lot of money was spent on this. Almost everything that they needed was like in the woods already. Exactly. And this was one of those horror movies where all of the headlines, due to the poor recording and them, you know, acting like amateur camera crews, because, well, they were, it caused so many people to like get motion sickness where people were literally getting sick in the theaters like that was one of the biggest things about this movie when it was in theaters so yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about that craig i know you you work in a theater and you've uh, told me many a times of having to clean up 
vomit and other bodily substances in theaters. I've never had to clean up vomit due to motion sickness, though. Most of the time, it's people just, like, drinking too much fruit punch and eating an entire bag of Starburst. That's valid. It happens um, to the best of us. Yeah, I mean, like, Top Gun had some people complaining about motion sickness, but usually if the, if you have a motion sickness problem... You usually know that going into a movie, which is probably why this movie caught so many people off guard. Because you don't go like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie about kids in the woods and have it trigger your motion sickness. Right. This was the first horror movie that I ever watched on my own. I was uh, 13 years old, home alone while my parents were out for the night and my brother was at his friend's house. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this, I'm going to be a big kid, and we're going to watch this movie because I was in a horror movie phase, you know, as some 13-year-olds go through. (laughs) Not me. uh, Not Not me. Hey. Not Craig. I'm clear. I'm good. Uh, But no, my, well, Tyler at the time when we were besties, we were both at that time obsessed with all things horror and ghosts and spooks. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to watch this. Well, I'm home alone, and I made it through the whole thing in the dark, but as soon as it ended, with that ending, which is probably one of the scariest parts of this entire movie, um, all of the lights were on by the time my parents got home, and I don't think I slept much then (laughs) either. So, earlier today, I promise this will make sense by the end of the story, earlier today, my fire alarm went off when I was in the shower. So, you know, uh, my fight or flight kicked in. I ran out of the shower, put my towel on, grabbed my glasses and phone. Fortunately, you know, false alarm. The alarm stopped after like 20, 30 seconds. And then I texted Bug about this happening. And you responded with, oh, I would have just stayed and finished my shower. And I go, Bug, you're insane. Why would you do that? In which they responded, I guess that just goes to show my lack of self-preservation. So this is the second thing that's happened today that tells me about your lack of self-preservation. Because someone who just watches Blair Witch in the dark when you're 13 by yourself, I think that kind of set a course. Well, I turned (laughs) the lights on after. And, okay, I proved myself wrong, though, because as we're recording this, I just got back from a haunted house where two men who were super tall had chainsaws that were coming for my ankles and I channeled my inner Usain Bolt and booked it the heck out of there. So apparently when actually put in danger, I have some self-preservation, but for things that I deem not important enough, like a fire alarm that I know is most likely not real, I'm finishing my shower. So, all this to say, I didn't like this movie. Like... (laughs) If a movie is scary, like, that's one thing, right? That's a Craig thing. I understand that. Um, I thought this movie was really boring. Yeah. Because... For the beginning. Just like, you know, I think it was boring the whole time. Because the whole movie is just getting the lore of the Blair Witch is cool. And then they go into the woods and the gimmick is still there. But then you get, like, 20 minutes in and they start to the process of getting lost and they start to get frustrated at each other and so at about the 20 minute mark for the next like 45 minutes is just them yelling at each other and bickering and arguing and like 
there's this confrontation about the map that lasts for like 15 minutes. And it got to a point where I just felt like I was watching a movie about people arguing in the woods. So that was, it, it just got really boring and repetitive for me. And then, Until the last 20 minutes. Yeah. And then you hit the night scenes and I think the night scenes are too scary. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that as like a, I get scared easily too scary. I mean that in a way of like, if one half of your movie is boring and the other half of your movie, I have to physically not watch because like it, the, it's too scary. That's not an enjoyable experience for me. I'm not saying that this movie didn't accomplish what it set out to accomplish. I think it did what it wanted to exactly as well as it could have. It's just not an enjoyable experience. So like, sure. The last 20 minutes are cool. And like, it's a lot of payoff for the little breadcrumbs that they've been laying throughout the course of the movie. I just think it's too freaky to like really get on board with. There's no saving grace in this movie. There's no like moments of levity. There's no like, there's no moments for you as an audience to breathe. So as a movie going experience, it feels like I'm being, I'm being punished for watching this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a found footage film and it, it's like one of the movies that kind of like set the precedence for what found footage films would become. I feel like it the night scenes are definitely really spooky, but I feel like that kind of like for me at least as someone who likes kind of spooky like this, like I don't like gore. Like we've established that. I think I've said that about a million times that I'm not a fan of gore and blood. So movies that are solely based on like spook factor and like the anxiety they cause and like the adrenaline rush, those are the ones that I like, but I it definitely does lag when the sun is up in this film. Um what do you think was the most unsettling part for you? I think it's when everything starts to culminate at, like, the beginning of the third act. Um, like, when they start waking up to the Blair Witch crosses in front of their tents. And, like, they start getting separated from each other at night. Like, that's kind of when things are just like, oh, so I just can't watch the rest of this movie. Uh, the Cause, most... Cause the, rest, the whole third act is like that. The most unsettling part for me, which is another part that a lot of people got nauseous and kind of sick at, is when Heather opens up that little pouch and there's like a finger and a tongue inside that belongs to the one guy who's missing. That yeah. is my least favorite part of this entire film. But like you said, like you said that this wasn't enjoyable for you and I've heard it from many people that like, this is the movie that made them dislike horror movies in general. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I agree that this is a well-made piece of horror. I, just, I think this is the one that goes too far, right? I think lots of horror movies go too far for different reasons. I think that this movie did too good of a job at being a horror movie. Like... Interesting. It, it, it invokes genuine fear and survival reactions, which if that's the thing you want, 
then I guess this is the only piece of media that will give it to you. But me, I like Scott Pilgrim. Okay, <laughs> so I'm good. I well, I wouldn't say this is the only piece of media that gives it to you. It's just the only one you've watched so far that'll do that to you. I don't like the word so far. Oh, oh, we're just getting started, baby. Wait for mm. next year. Mm, weird. Small and tall got canceled. Crazy. <laughs> wow. September 2023 was their last episode. Funny. What? Wow. Don't make me call you a chicken. I think, obviously, this movie needed to be a movie, right? So right. Heather was recording the entire time. And Heather's the one that's in charge of the project. It was her idea. She recruited Mike and Josh. Like, this is her heading. And... So it makes sense that she's recording the whole time. And when you record a documentary, you're like supposed to record as much as you can. That's how you make a good documentary. But it definitely got to a point where I was noticing like no person would actually be recording now unless this was a movie. And it got to a point where when like Mike and Josh were like, Heather, if you don't stop recording, I'm going to literally kill you. I'm like, I get it. I get get it. it. I understand she can't turn the camera off because then we don't get any more movie. But I am kind of on their side on this one. Yeah, if we were lost in the woods for days because you don't know how to read a map, at least that's what it seems like. Though I do believe they were being messed with by supernatural witch phenomena uh, to keep them a little lost. Uh, I would definitely be like, hey, you know what? No more project. Project on hold. We need to figure this out and the camera needs to be off. Yeah. So overall, this movie is an hour and 20 minutes, like you said. It feels longer than that because the tones of this movie is either incredibly slow and boring or slow and deliberately tension filled. So moments you wish would go by fast purposefully don't so every moment that you're sitting in this movie for one reason or another forces itself to drag itself along so this hour and 20 minutes i had to watch this in like three separate chunks because i'm like how am i not done with this how is this not over it's only 80 minutes but i feel like i've been watching this movie all day no you know that You saying that you had to watch it in three chunks reminds me of the fact that me and Hulu have beef because they put commercial breaks in the middle of their movies because not all of us can afford to pay for the premium premium Hulu subscription where you don't have commercials. And I'm like, come on, be like Peacock or other streaming services and just put the commercials at the beginning for like 80 seconds and then just give me my uninterrupted movie please i watched this oh i watched this on paramount never mind yeah you have paramount i don't i could ask you for your login probably but i haven't yeah you could (laughs) um all in all i did not enjoy this experience this movie is a miracle in uh, behind the scenes production and i think that if one thing went differently this movie would have had a completely different reception i understand why it's a classic i understand why it's people's favorites this is my least favorite horror movie i've watched (laughs) in all the horror movies we've watched 
across permanent good and small and tall. Now, my rating might not reflect that. I want to say that there is a difference between something being my least favorite and something being the worst. Child's Play is still the worst horror movie I've watched so far. Uh, But this one is my least favorite. Okay, so what is your rating, Gregory? Probably four and a half. Oh, low. Yeah, like I said, I bad experience. <laughs> um, I am so happy that you didn't like the movie that unsettled you and actually made you uncomfortable to where you'd hate it because you don't like scary movies. And I wasn't able to do it last year with The Fourth Kind, as we discussed, but I was able to find one this year, and that makes me very happy. Uh, I think this one is probably about a five for me as well like it's really it's definitely super unsettling and i watched it in the daytime this time to kind of make it less scary because i knew that it would unsettle me too much if i watched it at night so yeah it's definitely definitely like a five hold on that doesn't make sense for you well because like okay so like i appreciate the movie for what it is and how good it is for spooks but like you said the slow moments are too slow and so it feels like like while i was watching it the second time during the slow moments i found myself kind of disconnecting from the storyline and kind of just being like okay can we get back to the spooks kind of and then you know this the spookiness was you said it was slow and deliberate but i kind of felt like a lot of it felt rushed almost to where it would be like okay here's this five minutes of spookiness and then it's back to daylight and they're back to arguing again you know so like it's not the best but i do like the spooks so that's what gives it okay sure it just from the conversation we had been having the five kind of felt like it came out of nowhere no like i i for its production and like the way it was filmed and how it was done and like the effort that it was put that was put in to give them the authentic fear that was portrayed, that section of it would be like you know like a six or a seven. But overall, the average is a five. Okay, sure, fair enough. <laughs> so uh, the last movie that we're talking about is The Thing, and this one's this one this one's the blood and guts one. Yeah, this one's the blood and guts one. Um, here here's. The story, real quick. There, it follows a bunch of scientists and like military workers on an Antarctic research base, and all of a sudden, out of I cannot express this enough, literally nowhere, they get attacked by people from the Norwegian Antarctic base, like a few miles away. Like a helicopter comes down, two people get off, throw, try to throw grenades at them, and shoot them. At a dog, um, not them, they, a dog. No, they, they shoot one of the people, too. Um, And so, after that situation is dealt with, we learn that the reason that these Norwegian scientists or military people went bananas was because during an excavation, they had brought out what can only be described as either a mutated or extraterrestrial creature that basically infected these two scientists and sent them over to this base to try to wipe out who was on the other base. And so after that attack, even though that, you know, they were able to take care of the Norwegians, the alien was still able to infect 
the people on the American base. And the movie is about them trying to figure out who has been infected by this alien because the alien can take any shape it wants and infect whoever it wants and as many people as it wants. So the movie is kind of like this big game of Among Us where they're trying to find out who the imposters are. Yeah, this is OG Among Us. Yeah. Um, this was this is a remake of like a 1950s movie of the same name. Uh, this movie came out in 20 or in 1980 something, 86 or something. And it's directed by John Carpenter, who was the creator and director of Halloween. This is way better than Halloween for me. Oh, yeah. Like, you can go back and listen to my review of Halloween when we did it last year. Halloween was slow and boring. This is slow and boring, but also cool. Because... <laughs> uh- this movie has the same problem that a lot of 80s movies had. You know, we talked about this with Alien, which was a late 70s movie, where it takes a long time to get to the point. But once it starts, this movie, I think, did a better job at showcasing the kind of threat that this monster was and how it affected the people on this base. Because... The way that in that it infects the people is first it infects one of the dogs. And so the dog gets put in the pen with the rest of the dogs and this dog goes full demogorgon. Like fangs start to bloody, face opens up and then it becomes like a tarantula and tendrils start to come out of its body, wrap up the dogs and like before it gets a chance to like leave one of the people on the base is able to shoot and kill the dog, but still gets infected with the blood, and that's how everyone else on the base starts to get infected. Yeah, they don't even shoot it. They use a flamethrower on it because they, that's the yes. only way to kill it is by burning it. Or, well, not even kill it, but just kill the current being oh. it's trying to transform into. Yeah, I think they shoot it first, which is why I said shoot it. But yes, the, event, eventually they're like, we. they realize that the only way to stop whatever the things is hosting is to burn the body. So this movie stars Kurt Russell. What do you identify as your the Kurt Russell movie? You're going to hate this answer. I think I know what it is. What? It's Guardians 2. <gasps> that's not even what I thought it was going to be. That that's the Kurt Russell movie for you? I thought yeah, you were I... I- I don't know why. I mean, I haven't seen a bunch of Kurt Russell movies. Like, I know of a bunch of the stuff that he's in. Like, he's in, like, half of the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, I know who you thought I was going to say. Huh? You thought I was going to say the commander from Sky High. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking through his IMDb right now, and I'm like, what did you think I was going to... Oh, Sky High. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, Sky High is definitely up there. It's just... I haven't seen Sky High in so long. We're going to be watching it on the podcast kind of soon. Um, but yeah, definitely. Kurt Russell was like, Sky High was like one of my first favorite movies. So yeah, Kurt Russell is definitely like, Sky High is a is an iconic role for me. But yeah, Guardians 2 is like my, like, for, the, for some reason, sorry, I'm all over the place. <laughs> what do you think um, mine is based on his history? I'm going to say, knowing you and your tastes in movies, I'm going to say probably um, not Escape from New York, but the sequel, Escape from L.A. Incorrect. Dang it. 
That's no one's Kurt Russell movie. <laughs> I thought it would be yours. No, no. I asked someone that question, and they said Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. <laughs> no, if you say and Escape also from Captain New York. If you say Escape from New York, that's a valid answer. If you say Escape from L.A., just just choose Sky High. <laughs> no, mine is Overboard. Okay, sure. It's it's a really good one. It's cute. And I'm going to make you watch it on this podcast eventually. So this is your heads up, everybody. Um, I also got Kurt Russell and David Hasselhoff confused sometimes. They have very similar face no. uh, structures. You now, know the who I get that- mixed up? Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze. The, again, fair. Hey, gang, all these 80s white guys, copy-paste. They, copy-paste. Copy-paste. Um, the actor that I want to talk about that's in this movie is my boy, Keith David. Yes, I'm so glad you brought him up. <laughs> so, Keith David, I know him more as a voice actor than a physical actor. He's the voice of the antagonist in Princess and the Frog. He's the Arbiter in Halo. I know him as Admiral Anderson from the Mass Effect franchise. Ah. And he's also Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya's dad in Nope. (laughs) So this dude is a prolific actor. My beef with Keith David is that he's never in enough of a movie. Every time I'm like, oh, I will watch movies for Keith David. And then he's in like 90 seconds of it. And I get so frustrated about it. Like, my guy, you are why I watch this movie. Why are you telling me that you die before the credits roll? The opening credits. Yeah. Um, I didn't recognize him in this movie. Because the entire time I'm like, when does Keith David show up? And then I looked it up. I was like, I found his character name. And I'm like, oh, that's Keith David? He's very young. He is so, he looks so young in this movie. Like, it's the fact that his face shape looks completely different now. Like, now he has kind of like that more square chiseled face. Where uh, in this movie, he has a very like college boy vibe to him. Yeah. Um, so going back to the beginning of this movie, which is also like this could have prevented so many issues for them is, um, okay, you see these Norwegians on this helicopter and this dog running away from the helicopter. Right. And then this dog is coming up to you and your people while these Norwegians are shooting at the dog and then end up shooting one of your people because they're trying to kill this dog and they're telling you to get away from the dog, but none of you can understand them. And then one Norwegian literally tries to throw a grenade at this dog to kill it. And you guys are like, hmm, let's bring the dog inside of our compound instead of standing there for a second and being like, hey. Maybe there's a reason these people are trying to kill this dog right now. So I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack because it was not entirely clear that they were only trying to shoot the dog. Because when people roll up and start firing guns in your general direction, you kind of don't have time to notice that they're aiming a little bit lower than your chest. Um, And plus, after somebody gets hit... It's kind of like, okay, we got to, whatever they were doing doesn't matter. We got to, we just got to do what we, we got to figure out this situation as a whole. Oh, um, yeah. I want to say 
worst grenade throw in my entire I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god. Like dude could ba- he dropped it in the snow and his response was let me dig around and find it. Wrong? Yeah, wrong. Incorrect. Also, after they kill the first transformative host of this thing, the first uh, human one? No, the first like as it changes to in like as the dog transforms and they flamethrow it, they then take it into the lab, right? And yes. this becomes this becomes the second movie we have watched in this special where supposed scientists bring in an unknown specimen into their lab without any protective gear at all. The, uh, the only note that I wrote down for this movie was in all caps, why is the coroner not wearing gloves? Exactly. Like This okay. dude is just raw dog in this autopsy. He's like, hey, this dog transformed into an eight foot blob monster. Better get in there with my fingies. Like, okay, I don't know. My first sixth grade lab class was, you know, quite a few years ago at this point. But the number one rule of science is to wear your protective gear in the lab when you're working on specimens. Why are they just ignoring this? Yeah, I want to say whoever contracted these scientists to go to Antarctica, I understand why you t- why you sent them to Antarctica because you didn't want to send them anyplace good because clearly they weren't good scientists. They were in fact bad scientists. Yeah, they uh, weren't very good at their jobs in the end of things. And again, the thing that '80s movies do really well is. They do practical effects like nobody else in the business. Oh, my God. Because the dog transforming was, like, amazingly horrific. The the physical thing that that scientist was doing the autopsy on, disgusting in the best way possible. Every time, every time except for once, when the thing transformed from a human form into a monstrous form looked like really good and terrifying in the best way. Like yes. when towards the end of the movie, when they're doing that blood sampling test. Oh, that is so cool. It's it's terrifying in the best way. Like it's so good. And so I say that this movie also has a problem of long periods of nothing happening, but it I adds every time, Every time this movie cuts back to the quote-unquote action, it brings me back with such a force and a vengeance that I don't care that I sat through 20 minutes of them watching VHS tapes of Norwegian people digging through ice. I don't care about that anymore because I watched a man turn into a Venus flytrap and bite a dude's head off. Yeah, that was that was the one scene where I was like, huh, look at dummy windows being thrown around. <laughs> It's yeah, not dude. a real man. It's definitely not a real man. And you know what? If we had to have a dummy person get thrown around, so that way we could have a human Venus flytrap, I'm okay with it. that. I, I'm willing to make those sacrifices. And I will say that for scientists, it took them way too long. Like, it was literally Occam's razor was the solution of figuring out, you know, 
the best way to figure out who the thing is, which Occam's razor is the theory that it's the simplest thing, but people don't think about the simplest thing in stressful situations. They're always trying to think big and complex instead of just breaking it down and keeping it simple stupid. Because yeah. it took them way too long to realize, oh, it doesn't like fire. It has self-preservation, so let's test each other's blood because these cells are still alive. Yeah, and I think when they did finally come up, that sequence just in general was really cool and really tense. Yes, because it's so tense. it was the first time in the movie where it felt like the scientists had something up on the thing. And it's like this was their one chance to really take advantage of their situation. Like, we know this one thing about the thing and if we don't use it now then it's kind of a lost tool and we're at a disadvantage again uh so seeing that scene kind of be like if this doesn't work nothing will it was a very important moment in this movie and it was done so very well because that scene takes its time but it doesn't take too much time exactly. it's probably the most important scene in this movie but it doesn't feel bloated or overshadowing and just like the anxiety like you that is one of the highest anxiety moments of this entire film because everybody is tied together in a row and they're like look who, this thing is gonna go wild when this blood is tested the blood is gonna go wild and then it's gonna trigger this thing because it's been identified and we're all tied together so we're screwed for whoever it is and that's exactly what happens. The guy yeah, and, flips and out. When the, and when the thing transforms, suddenly them all being tied together on a couch, like, doesn't make it. Because it's one of those things like, yeah, tie them all on a couch. So if one of them transforms, they won't be able to reach each other. That makes sense. And then it actually happens. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. They're all tied together. That means they can't escape and save themselves. And, of course, the flamethrower isn't working in that scene either. Yeah, that was that was a little bit of uh, movie convenience, but whatever. Yes. I, I will let a movie movie every now and then. Was the there... Only, Go ahead. The only problem that I had with that scene is that it made me not care about the rest of the movie. Because I was like, oh, that's the best this movie is going to get. Be, and so, like, there's still, like, 15 minutes left after that movie. And they that in that 15 minutes, they blow up the whole laboratory. And I'm just kind of like... Eh, whatever. We already got the fun part. Was there ever a time where you knew who it was, like who was no. the thing, or and were you lost as so you were as lost as the rest as the 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 characters in the film? Yeah, and so I think this is on me, and I'm willing to admit that. Like, like I've said before, I let movies take me on their ride. This yeah. movie's ride is to have you guess. So I didn't realize that. I didn't like I didn't notice that until about halfway through the movie. And then when you get to about halfway through the movie, it gets pretty obvious who's infected, um with the exception of a few individual cases. So I wasn't really trying to figure out who the thing was until we got to like that blood sampling test cuz you get to a point everybody starts acting crazy like yeah. Um I forget what the autopsy doctor's name is, but he goes berserk. Absolutely bananas. Because, I mean, the way that... It's Dr. Blair, which is funny. Yes, Dr. Blair. Yes, because that was funny. Um, 
for the way Blair that the thing the thing that transfers itself through blood contact and dr blair was all up in this guy's guts but mm-hmm. dr blair was also like he ran a computer simulation that's like if this thing goes back to the main population it will infect the entire world it said twenty-seven thousand hours which is a long time let me be clear like sure it has the entire globe to infect but 27,000 hours is like three and a half years. Yeah. So I was not too, like, obviously they didn't want to go back to the mainland. Maybe I misread that computer screen, but I'm pretty sure it said 27,000 hours. Um, so he goes off his rocker and tries to kill everybody, which you're like, oh, is he the thing? But at that point, no, he just no. doesn't want it getting out. Yeah. And it gets to the point where Kurt Russell's character and where the, everyone else is literally like bunkered like around the corner of the room he's destroying they're like is he nuts like should we do something about it like they had to get a shield to go up and confront him because blair is just swinging a fire axe around destroying servers and computers and whatnot yeah this is it's this is one of those it, movies where you have to pay attention like if you want to like really keep track of who is the thing and all that stuff it's one of those movies where everything in a scene means something down to what someone's wearing down to how they look and where i was going with asking you if you ever knew who was the thing is that it was confirmed by i think john carpenter himself as well as other writers um and like people on the crew that in the film, you can tell who is the thing because they'll have a glint in their eyes. And when somebody is not infected, they don't have that kind of reflection in their eyes. That's and I crazy. Feel like that's really crazy and such a small detail for people to pick up on. Yeah, and there are other small details that the movie blatantly tells you. Like, every time the thing infects a person, during the body is kind of like fighting against it a piece of clothing usually gets torn. So if somebody is wearing torn clothing, there's a non-zero chance that they're the thing. Right. And so I think this movie, of all the movies we've watched, is like prime rewatch territory. Like, this movie should be watched every year for Halloween, not necessarily (laughs) for tradition for tradition's sake, but so you can pick up on details you haven't watched before. Exactly. Or you didn't pick up on before. Um, the thing I will say is, like I said, this movie excels because 1980s practical effects were just, they were built different. Um, I will say though, audio design, not great. Mm-mm. Audio design, pretty bad, actually. Hey, as long as it's better than the first episodes of this podcast, I think they're doing good for themselves. Fair enough. <laughs> so I think what... If I could, if I had a genie with three wishes, obviously, wish number one, muscles. <laughs> w- wish number two, attractive significant other. Wish number three, remaster the thing so it's exactly the same, but technically better. Like better audio, like a little bit better camera quality, um, better CG in the places where it has it. There's like, I don't want a remake. They tried to do a remake in like 2015. It bombed and it was bad from what I understand. We can watch it next year. So I just want this movie with the technical 
improvements that we've made. So like, I, I, I know. I just, I just think that, that those were the moments where I was taken out of the story is when at the beginning of the movie, when the Norwegians show up, the sheriff takes his revolver, breaks the window and then uses the gun to like clear out the rest of the glass. Like, Ooh, some of the worst sound design I've ever heard. That was yeah. just rough. So it's just like I, I would redesign some stuff like that. But other than that, like very little needs to be changed about this movie. Some scenes maybe could be paced a little better. Some maybe some pacing issues throughout the entire script, but they're like minimal. I think this movie is not scary in terms of jump scares, but it's th- it's a thriller. It's suspenseful. And when that thing transforms, it freaks you the hell out. I yeah, I don't personally find this one really scary at all, but it yeah. is like a super interesting and intriguing watch to where you're like, it's it's sci-fi horror, so you're like, oh heck yeah, that's so gross and alieny, that's so cool kind of a deal. And it's like the suspense of the story and like trying to follow and figure out who the thing is as it goes. And this is like you said, it's another movie kind of like how I feel about Midsummer, where it keeps you as lost as the characters. And sometimes that adds to the story and sometimes I feel like it takes away from it because you're like, okay, can we get this show on the road yet? Yeah. Um, but what was your interpretation of the ending? Um, I th- I don't really have much of an interpretation, if I'm being quite honest, because I've followed Keith David on Twitter for a while now, and he's yeah. pretty much confirmed that Childs was infected by the thing at the end of the movie. Yeah. Do you know um, how you can tell? No, I don't. So... Right when they're about to blow up, this is, okay, biggest spoilers, as we just discussed that Childs was, you know, the thing at the end. Um, So right before they go to blow up the entire base, Childs kind of runs away and you don't see him for a while. But all the other characters, when they're preparing stuff to, you know, create the fire, they make Molotov cocktails And all of the Molotov cocktails are made in the same types of bottles. And those bottles are full of kerosene. And at the end, McGreedy gives Childs one of those bottles and he takes a sip of it as if there's alcohol in it. But really, it's kerosene. And so McGreedy laughs because he knows that Childs is the thing now and that they're screwed. Yeah, um... Yeah, this is a good movie. This is a good movie. It's a really good one. I really, I, I really agree with your point that this is one that needs to be watched every year just to make new connections. Yeah. Um. All right. So this year, we strayed away from the fall movies and focused on horror movies, which proved difficult for some of us. But overall, I'm going to say I had a, I had more positive experiences than bad ones. Because I chose two of them. I've seen one of them already. And then the other one was Blair Witch. <laughs> so. Well, what, what rating do you give the thing? 
I think the thing, probably a seven and a half. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That number, very rarely do movies have the potential to go up in rating with rewatches. I think this one has the highest chance of that. For sure. Definitely. All right. Spooktacular over. Let's move on to November. Yes. So I'm excited for November. We're going to pivot possibly as hard as possible. So I think it's kind of like an apology for making me watch Blair Witch. We're going to do something. This fits your niche as well. But I'm very happy that we're able to do this because... There's no way in hell this is getting done on permanent good. When we say that Small and Tall covers movies, franchises, and genres that don't appear on permanent good, this this is the textbook example of that. Be- yeah. Because we are going to be watching musical movies. These are movies that are original musicals that don't that aren't like a movie adaptation of a Broadway show, like. It was written for the screen, and it's a musical. So, these movies are as follows. The Greatest Showman. Duh. La La Land. Pitch Perfect. And Enchanted. I am very excited about this. I've seen three out of the four of these, and I'm very excited to revisit them, because I have a feeling I will have a vastly different opinion on pretty much all of them since I last watched them. Have you not seen Enchanted? I've never seen Enchanted. (gasps) Gregory. I know. That's why I put it on this list. I'm just happy it's on there, because my man James Marsden's in it. Yes, James Marsden returns as our podcast husband. And I'm very excited about that. Me too. I'm not looking forward to watching La La Land, but we'll get into why next month. Uh, (laughs) Thank you all for listening to the Small and Tall 2022 Halloween Spooktacular. And we'll catch you next month for our musical movies episode. I'm Bug, and... I've been small. And I'm Craig, and I've been cursed with the ever-bearing feet of size 13 grippers because (laughs) I am that tall. (laughs) We'll catch you next month. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. (sighs) 